One, two, one, two. Give me, give me a mic check real quick. You. Mic check. Check. Microphone checker. One, two, checker. He's <laughs> so stupid. Okay. Uh, I have friends who used to say that DOS Effects was the future of hip hop. I was like, really? No. This who you gonna put your dollar on, huh? No. no. Your diggity dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you can still listen to Mike Checker. It's actually a good album. It's a good It's actually a solid album. I don't know if it's a solid album. It's a solid that's album. A solid, that's a solid single. And it maybe is one other two tracks, but the the gimmick quickly gets the, old. The gimmick quickly gets old. In retrospect, a whole album of the gimmick worked. You think so? Because that was it. I don't know. Like I think they had a follow up album and they tried to not not do it, not yeah. diggity do it. And it was. But by then it was it was diggity too late. It was diggity done. <laughs> it was diggity done. <laughs> now they're working at the diggity target. <laughs> Let's start the show. All right. <laughs> hey, everybody, welcome to the Michelle Mission Two Men, One Podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, aka the Bat Triple, and I'm joined by. Uh, this is Vincent Williams. It's also Wednesdays, 8 to 10. Tonight we are um, continuing Listener Request Month as we dig into at Digital Gray on Twitter's request for 1975 Coon Skin. Um, but first, before we get into that, we're going to review some of your tweets and salvos that you've thrown our way in our week off but we would be remiss if we did not start things off by saying hey vince how's the new house it's it's there (laughs) it's there for walls in the ceiling we're we're all moved in congratulations man thank you thank you thank you it was um never want to do that again so this this is the last it uh, moving is horrible really like you know not like people with diseases Horrible. or like death right? Or, or, you know, like weather tragedies. But once all that's off the table, moving is horrible. Really? Yeah. So. But you're all moved in. All moved in. Now it's just walking through the boxes. There you go. There you go. Where are the long boxes, Vince? Hey, boy. The comic book. Boy, collection. you know, that's a whole conversation right there because, you know, the movers were not happy with me. Really? Because you're about, like, what, about 30 long boxes of comics? Uh, Ooh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that. Uh, I've been collecting since I was six, dog. And got them all. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So they weren't up. They were, see, but, but long boxes are easy to transport. Yeah, they real heavy, though. That's true. They real heavy. They real heavy, man. And do, are your trades in long boxes, too? No, the trades were in other boxes. Mm, so, those boxes are mad. Yeah. Ooh. You know we like slip cases and omnibuses. Omnibuses is that is that the plural of omnibus? I think it's omnibuy. Omnibuy, like we love omnibuy and those big presentations. And like you and I were talking last week, like you got that Calvin and Hobbes mm-hmm. slip case, that that beautiful Calvin and Hobbes slip yes, case. Sir. Yeah, aren't they beautiful? Fanographics put out all them peanuts collections right. a few years ago, and weren't they beautiful? Yeah, boy. We're old enough to remember when graffiti was putting out all those prestige hardbacks. And yep. yeah, you know what? You got them all. They real heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we're in and happy and, you know. That's great. All right. Man. Uh, you were missed last week. And I missed it. You sound like y'all were having a ball. We had fun. I Me said, oh. Uh, Daryl Charles. We I had fun. I talk about Black Dynamite. I know you did, man. Yeah. <laughs> I know you did, man. So, real quick, I promised that we would give you at least a couple of minutes to give your take on Black Dynamite. Uh, I think I think I love Black Dynamite for many of the reasons that y'all said, mm-hmm. but I would also add that the love 
for these films is so apparent in Black Dynamite. Yeah. Like the yeah. attention to detail, the 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 the, the sort of um the playfulness of it. Mm-hmm. And and it's sort of infectious. Like everybody involved, like you you know, y'all, you know, talked about the pimp scene with Osiris and Tasty Freeze and Captain Kangaroo Pimp and uh and Kotex and yeah, I know all the in Chocolate Giddy up and you, you know <laughs> Chocolate Giddy up Right, who, you know, is selling drugs in the community. <laughs> and they all seem like they're having so much fun with yeah. it and i think it's infectious so it is i did pose a question to daryl and i'm uh, sorry to put you on the spot in a little bit all right um that i was hard pressed to think of a comedy that i have enjoyed more than black dynamite at least since it's come out and it came out in 2009 like a black comedy yes uh, i might agree with you I might agree with you. I don't know. I, I don't know the last time I saw something that made me laugh out loud. Yeah. Like Black Dynamite. Like there have been films that are amusing, mm-hmm. but but not laugh out loud. Yeah. And and again, like and be smart about it. And be smart about it. Yeah. So. Very true. Um, okay, so we did get some some tweets from people. All right. Uh, uh, people are, are listening to our show. That's nice to nice always to know. nice to know, and are at least are um, following us on Twitter. All right, I made mention that one of the podcasts that I do listen to is Denzel Washington is the greatest actor ever. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, it's a, a podcast with uh, two guys, two Hollywood guys talking, going through the the filmography of, of Denzel Washington. Yeah, Denzel Washington. oh yeah, and they will very often have guests in studio mm-hmm. with them. And they had uh, Omar Dorsey. Oh, okay. Of, All right. Of Queen Sugar. Yes. And of the Michelle Mission. Yes. Has been yes. a frequent guest yes. on their show. And I made mention that I had was listening to one of their more recent episodes where Omar was a guest host. Yes. And I enjoyed the episode immensely. I'm, I'm sure. As I enjoy uh, all of their episodes. Um, but in listening to that, and because of the freer uh, form to that show, because it is strictly a podcast, so they can be free with their language. Yes. That we can't, because our show also doubles as a radio show. They, uh, de- uh, uh, Omar definitely sounded like he was having a very, very good time Aww. on that show. You know, Omar Omar was getting his Atlanta was in full bloom. Now I'm jealous. That's, that's that's how I felt. I know. That's how I felt. That's what I told him. I said, man, it's like like listening to your like your uh, to your wife having a great time with your best friend, man. Right, right. Like, he was just having too much fun, dude. Um, I'm uncomfortable with a lot of that imagery, but okay. Okay, fair, fair enough. <laughs> but that's how I felt. I right. I'm not going to front. Like I was uncomfortable. And then you kept talking, and I kept getting more uncomfortable. <laughs> so, like, people can't see me, but I've like, I'm, I'm like cover. I've covered myself. Yes, yes. And then for some reason, hiding your nipples. <laughs> um, but shout out to the Denzel Washington is the greatest podcast ever. They they don't need any help from us. No, There's no, no. Podcast, no. But uh, you know, very big. Very big things, but shout out to Kevin Avery and W. Kamal Bell, who are the hosts of that show. Um, hopefully, you know, once we get maybe a little bit higher profile, Amen. we'll reach out to them. and Shoot for the moon. Bring one Even if you miss, you'll suffocate in the hard, dark vacuum of space. Well, that's something to wish for. Uh, <laughs> so shout out to them. And, uh, and, and shout out to Omar. Of course, Omar's doing. He's. I think he may have missed his calling as a podcast host. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he, he doesn't. He doesn't miss those those podcast checks. Yeah, but um, he did miss his calling. Um, let's see. Uh, 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 someone asked us the power principle uh, at New Mutant on trip on uh, Twitter. Asked how would we place a movie like Together Brothers. Um, all I remember 
was being traumatized by the film. Now, Together Brothers is a film from 1974, reading straight from IMDb, when a five-year-old inner-city kid witnesses the murder of a kind police officer. He is struck mute. However, his older brother and gang refuse to let the murder of their friend and mentor go unsolved, and they decide to band together to crack the case. This is a film that was um, written from a story by Jack DeWitt and stars Ahmad uh, Noradin, Anthony Wilson, and Nelson Selms. Um, I'm actually not familiar. I've never heard of this, this film. film before right now. This is why I love doing this. Yeah. I've actually never heard of that film, so I can't place it. I can't place it either, but we will. Yeah. Directed by William A. Graham. Okay. So, Together Brothers. We're going to have to check Together that out. Together Brothers. It's, uh, so, I, 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 so the, the short answer um, at New Mutant is like, how do you place a movie like Together Brothers? We place it in the queue. So, that we'll be watching it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we'll let you know. Line. Then we'll let you know exactly what we think of that movie. Um, Born Black. All right. Born underscore black at... Uh, Nacy underscore Marino on Twitter was listening to a recent fan of our show and then going back through our archives, listened to episode eight. Oh boy. Medicine for Melancholy. Yeah. Oh yeah. A great movie and a pretty good episode of our show. Thank you. Uh, mentioned on Twitter that that was a very cool episode of one of my favorite movies. And favorite is spelled with four A's. Yeah. Who was the woman dropping all the knowledge here? That was, in fact, so Charmel, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Char- well, no, it's not Charmel. It was Charlene. Charlene. Charlene, Charlene Gref- Griffith. Yeah. The new girl, Charlie Brownskin. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. Twitter, who was our very special uh, guest on that episode. She was. That's an early episode. Yes, it was. And she is overdue. For a return visit to the Michelle mission. She's actually gotten uh, with me a couple of times about wanting to come back on. But every time she wants to come back on, I was like, all right, let's do it this day. Oh, I'm jetting to Cuba, Lynn. Mm. Uh, perhaps upon my return. No, I think I have a stopover in France. Mm. She's, she's the, uh, Charlie Brownskin is a jet setter. Must be nice. Must be nice. Um, so when we can nail her down yes. to a seat, we will definitely get her back in here. On the Michelle mission. Uh, I, re- I really look forward to having her back in. And in publicizing our episode that we're going to be doing for um, tonight, Coonskin, uh, we've had a, a, quite a few people like our tweet. Okay. We're going to be reviewing it, including Ralph Bakshi. Oh. The writer and director of Coonskin himself liked our tweet. Oh, see if he likes it after the review. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Poliopus, uh at Jimbo3 on Twitter said, I got the devil in me, but it's the man I, you see. Uh, referencing Scatman Crothers' yeah. opening yeah. Oh, yeah. of this film. An opening which Geek Soul Brother, at Geek Soul Brother on Twitter, yo, what's up, dude? Uh, said that he um, he shouted out that that opening as one being one of his favorite parts of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without getting too much into it, it's 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 actually my favorite part of the film too. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. We also uh, reaching into the emails. We heard from the first couple of the Michelle mission. I guess I should say Dorian Missick. Oh, Dorian Missick and Simone Missick. Hey, what's up, Dorian? What's up, Dorian? What's up, Simone? Uh, he. He hit us up, and you know we're we're talking about spending our Valentine's Day with the Mystics, and he wanted. He said, "Look, we are doing strictly business. Hurry up and say yes before Simone changes her mind." (laughs) So I did respond to him, uh, okay, but now I will put it right here on um on on record. Recorded record that yes, Dorian, we will review with you and Simone 1991 Strictly Business. Strictly Business. Directed by Kevin Hooks and starring Joseph C. Phillips. Yes. Very young Halle Berry. Tommy Davidson. And Tommy Davidson. Yeah. (laughs) 
I cannot wait. How do they pick out strictly business? I do not know. I do not know. <laughs> that's that's going to be my favorite part. We're going to say, you know, we let y'all pick. Why <laughs> did you pick strictly business? We we got to know. We must know. <laughs> of I'm all like, the Joseph P. Phillips films to choose, why strictly business? I, I say this. Haley Berry is real fond in strictly business. Lord Jesus. You know. Yes, you So, okay. I mean, hey, amen. Uh, strictly business is a film that I wouldn't mind returning to because I remember being surprisingly um, surprised by how much I enjoyed that film. When I- yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was, I've always been a Tommy Davidson fan. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, like, like he was like coming into himself yeah. at that time. Oh, yeah. So I look forward to doing that. So there you go, Dorian. It, it's, it's official. I'm sorry, <laughs> Simone. It is now on recorded. Uh, uh, it's recorded now and forevermore. So that in February, we will be doing. Uh, Unless Simone wants to do something else. No. See, now, <laughs> here's the thing. Uh- Here's the thing. Let's put it out there. Oh, we're here's the thing in it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. In the mystic household, okay? Let's 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 put it let's put it up front there. All right. Dorian is he's got his thing. He's rocking out with Animal Kingdom on TN, TNT and he's doing big big work on there. But Simone's got that Netflix dollar on Luke Cage. So in the mystic home. Things go by where what Simone says. I understand that. But on the train that is on the Michelle mission, Dorian Missick is the Missick that calls the shots. He was our first Missick. He was our first Hollywood fan. He was the first person to reach out to us with how much he enjoyed the show. And has been a staunch supporter and friend to the show. Being the, we can basically play six degrees of Dorian. It's through him by which we got to Simone and Omar. And now we'll be soon be speaking with Carmen Rogers, the singer Carmen Rogers from Atlanta. Fair enough. So if Dorian, you've made your case, tied her down to strictly business, then strictly then business. Strictly is what's it going to be? Business, it is. You know, they go into business with the black bankers at the end. That's the twist. Exactly. Why are you going to give it away? It's a thirty-year-old movie. <laughs> <laughs> We've got an older movie to review for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. It is from 1975, starring the images and voices of Barry White. Philip Michael Philip Michael Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, Philip Michael Thomas. Where have you been? And Scatman Crothers with hair. It is 1975's Coonskin. Let me see your license. Coonskin, ladies and gentlemen, 1975 live action and animated crime film written, directed by Ralph Bakshi about an African-American rabbit fox and bear who rise to the top of the organized crime racket in Harlem encountering corrupt law enforcement con artists and the mafia combining live action and and animation it stars Philip Michael Thomas Charles Gordon Barry White Scatman Crothers uh, was originally produced under the titles of Harlem Nights and and soon after Coonskin No More was released in 1975 to very mixed reviews, but has been revisited in recent years and uh, hailed as a dark, if not troubling, satire worthy to be praised. Vincenzo, 
When did you first become aware of Coonskin? I think I've all. I mean, not always. I mean, certainly twenty years. Yeah, because I've at least twenty years. I've like I knew about it, right? And I'd seen clips because I'm a Ralph Bakshi fan. Okay, like you know, I I love Wizards. Mm-hmm. I love Felix um, of uh, Fritz the Cat. Fritz the Cat. Yeah. Um, his version of Lord of the Rings is actually my favorite version. Like if like if you put me against a wall and said pick Peter Jackson or Ralph Bakshi's uh, Lord of the Rings, I would probably pick Ralph Bakshi's because I just think the imagery is so evocative and 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 you know I just love that whole seventies sensibility. Mm-hmm. of of you you know it's 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 the european influence is you know heavy metal here in the states yeah uh, uh you know I, I was reading i actually thought that that dondi the great graffiti artist pulled from bakshi but then i just found out that both of them pulled from von Baudet, i think it's pronounced mm-hmm. so i just love his whole aesthetic yeah i feel having said that with coonskin I think the thing that the 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 thing that I kind of latched on to, and and you know y'all like I you know, I do try my best not to put my teacher hat on, but sometimes it's right there. Mm-hmm. So much of this pulls from the Brer Rabbit tales, yes, and spe- the early nineteen hundreds of the early, well, you know, depending on how far back you want to go, sure. you, you know, you certainly all the way all back, back to the continent, and you know, Nazi the spider, and then yes. you know, you have the trickster tales of the indigenous Americans, but specifically, it pulls from the Uncle Remus versions. So you know, Joel Chandler Harris, eighteen eighty one, and I think that's significant. Because when we talk about Uncle Remus and, and Joel Chandler Harris and, and, and Harris says that, you know, he grew up with some enslaved people and he heard these stories firsthand and, and he wrote them down. And these are the versions that many of us know about. These, you know, this is where they got Song of the South from. And one of the critiques of of these Uncle Remus stories is that they're very patronizing. Very. They're very condescending. Um, you know, it, it presents this sort of pastoral imagery of slavery with the happy slave. And, and, you know, Harris meant well. Like, you know, he's well documented as saying that he wanted to show the beauty of these people. But he just he's just an outsider doing this stuff. Yeah. And I think, you, you know, there is a vein of whiteness where you have a type of white person who kind of sees almost the performative element of blackness. Like they see the way we move or the way we dance or the way we dress, the way we talk, all of it. Mm -hmm. And they like it, but they miss the humanity of it. And, you know, I I thought it was pretty significant that one of the great champions of this film is Quentin Tarantino. Of course. Because I think Quentin Tarantino is guilty of this. Like, I think these are people who, you know, they're not hateful. Like, they actually think they're doing, but, yeah. but you you know, it's like, you can just, you can just do the checklist with this film where, you know, you, you fetishize literal blackness. Like, you look at the way the color black is used on the screen. You know, you fetishize our features. You fetishize the way that we talk, the way that we walk, the way that we dress, you know, basketball, um, um, you know, the clothing, like I just said, um, you know, it's this whole deal with with um, with the black church, and you, you know, at this, oh, yeah. you know, at this moment, the the, the you know the the black power movement, mm-hmm. and at its very best, like like if at, at the very best, I would say that this is an amazingly tone deaf film, where again, I think you have somebody who misses the point of all of this where 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 you know you talk about the reasons why black people dress the way they do and the way that they walk the way they talk and like everything that i just said like everything that i just said of course the great prophet richard pryor said it best in like one sentence where you know he he has this great joke where he talks about black men always holding their dicks and he's like well why are black men always holding their dicks and he says it's because the white man took everything else that's right and we're just holding it to make sure we still have it that's right so that all of this is a defense mechanism all of this is armor all of this has 
you know, these very human reasons. And I just feel like Coonskin misses all of that. Yeah. To get to to the, you know, the visual and stuff. Having said all that, this is an amazing film to look at. Like there are sequences. I I think I think I think this is a dare I say beautiful film like like the use of the animation and and you know I think we lean on the animation but there are sequences in here that don't have animation that I think are striking like like I'm thinking there's a scene where 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 Br'er Bear becomes the boxer yeah and they show him boxing or they show the boxing matches and the use of white space during okay. that sequence right. yeah, was amazing that. to me. That's like cool. actually strike. Uh, we talked about Scatman Crothers. Yeah. We're at the beginning where he does this song, you know, I'm a nigger man. And it, 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 I, you know, I would not be surprised if Spike Lee pulled some of the spirit of that right. and put it into bamboozled. Okay. Because yeah, that pain, that 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 sort of pain that comes from being in in this kind of position and having to do this, and I don't know if this is Scatman uh, Crothers, I don't know if this is Ralph Bakshi, but you know, I always try and give the director his due. That is an incredible sequence at the it beginning is. where he's doing that. Yeah, so overall, like I said, at the at best, it's amazingly tone deaf, and I understand why people were offended. And he's real loose with yes. the imagery. Very loose. He real like he's real loose with, and I always say like I always say, people aren't that loose with like Nazi imagery, right? But people get real loose with with watermelon, and and I thought and and it was it was distasteful. But so yeah, let me stop because I because I can ramble. That's where about it bumps this. it up against me. Uh, okay, because I do think there's a tone deafness to it. Yet I do I also can see and want to champion the audacity of the film for for trying to for trying to satire that whole the the whole situation or using that story the rare rabbit story as as a form of satire where i bump up against it hardly and and, and what keeps the the animation or this film from being a beautiful film is to a degree with me the whole the rabbit character there's kind of a beauty in his staunch blackness right there's kind of I'm I I feel a little bit in the in the fox character and in the bear character I'm kind of riding with them a little bit. I'm almost in in the in the bear character, especially in the time that it's set in the, in the '70s. I'm almost seeing a little bit of that character is also reminiscent in some character that you see in some Saturday morning cartoons at that time. Sure, or like the 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 I think the the Hurley Burley Bears or something like that. What where I'm bumped up against it is that. They're clearly supposed to be African American, these characters, right? And yes, they they clearly come from down south and they're going to Harlem. But it in Harlem, the African Americans in Harlem are just these grotesque mm-hmm. that are just nothing but stereotypes, nothing but big lips and like either coal black or almost shiftless creatures, like almost lacking of any type of humanity whatsoever. Whereas there is a form of humanity that is seen in almost every other depiction of every other race. Right. You know, whether they be Italian in the mafia, even though they're grotesque, too, there's still some type of humanity there. And specificity. Yes. Like, it's specifically not even Italian, but the Italian mafia. Yes. Like, this isn't white people. This isn't Italians. This is the The Italian Italian mafia. That's true, because um, the, the white people, you know, there are white Southerners that are definitely still seen as as human um they are 
he's having fun at their expense. Right. But they're still depicted as as humans. Right. The African Americans, I mean, at one point you so in down south there are these anthropomorphic animals, yet in New York they're just grotesque. Yeah. Just oh these, yeah. These things, you know? And that and and that goes for the for the uh, African American males and the African American women. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. And that keeps me from feeling some of or or fully invested. Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jacquees Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top Fives like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. Oh. What's the best way to eat a taco, Vince? With your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. And some of the more pointed commentary that this movie has to offer, especially like in the the story of the young woman who single mother who has a quote unquote relationship with the cockroach in her yeah. house. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's a there is a, there is a message there. There's yeah. a story of the loneliness of of a single mother of the of trying to to navigate living in um an urban setting you know there there are there are multiple messages there and the depiction of the cockroach which borrows from crazy cat uh yeah um, how about that back in the back in the early 30s and 40s and even earlier than that um is very striking and nice very catch. cool it's, it, it, and it's very cool the way that that, that whole vignette is yeah. depicted yet it's troublesome because the single wo- the single black woman is just this grotesque with big pink lips yeah i think it's just lips like yes. she, she she barely has a head it's almost like a beak exactly and then the end is lips yeah and yeah and it just i can't buy into it I, the imagery is very striking how it will go from you seeing her to then seeing colorful silhouettes and then the the the, the cockroach just being in um almost comic strip form uh, it, it, uh, imaginary, uh, um, silhouetted on the walls. It's it's breathtaking. That part of it, there is mm-hmm. a beauty in that, but I can't invest in it because of how he's depicting it, these characters. Exa- I mean, it's the Robert Crumb argument. It's the Robert Crumb thing. Well, I guess, I guess, it and is. and I'll say this about Ralph Bakshi compared to Robert Crumb. Like, I think Robert Crumb is actually hateful mm-hmm. and mean spirited. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't get that hate off of. No, Bakshi. I don't. I don't. You're, you're, that's true. But it's still, like you said, it is. It, it, it is. It's the outsider it, looking. It's in. the outsider looking in, and it's the outsider who has no direct investment, no direct involvement, yeah, and no real emotional connection to this imagery. It reminds me. Uh, just a segue, real quick. I uh, a few years ago, for for whatever reason, a bunch of a bunch of um, friends of mine, we were invited to dinner at this guy's house. This Italian guy, um, a nice guy, very nice guy, and and I was the only black person amongst this group. Mm-hmm. Fine, go to this guy's house, and we're just standing around waiting for the dinner to be served, and I'm noticing on his bookcase that he has. The a little tiny statue of the um, lawn jockey, mm. you know, and this is the lawn jockey, like complete with the black face, the white lips, and the whole mm-hmm. thing, right? And I'm noticing it, 
And I'm trying not to pay too much attention of it. I noticed it, and I'm quickly about to get off of it. You know, like, all right, well, well, that's there. And then he proceeds to noticing me see it, to come up and in the midst of everyone to give this dissertation on the history of the lawn jockey Mm -hmm. and why it is that he has it displayed there. Right. I can't remember what his reasoning was and what this whole story was, but the whole time he's, he's telling me this, I'm like, you don't, what are you talking about, bro? And this is an older Italian guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. 20 years, my senior. And this, this film reminds me of that. I see what you think you're doing something, but you you don't have the connection. I'm a, and I'll add to that. Just said I moved, so we're unpacking. One of the things we have to unpack is our art and our signs. One of my favorite pieces of art that we have in our house, we put over the entrance to the, our kitchen. Mm-hmm. We have an old segregation era sign, and it says "Colored served here." Mm. Take out only, which is the part I love them. Like, that's why I love it because it's colored, sir. Like, we'll take your money, but you got to go home. And we have, we talked about this for a second with Bamboozled, where, you know, there are black people, and I'm one of them, although I certainly can't afford to do it like other people, where, you know, we reappropriate this imagery. We take this up. Like, I have people in my family that collect mammies. Okay. Okay. And it is because of the connection to it is, you know, you use it as, as learning tools, you use it to connect you to your culture, but it's ours. Exactly. And, 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 you know, let's just say this, everything, this is, we've now moved into opinion and, and, you know, sub, you know, we're, you're being subjective, like, you know, who owns what, who has a right to this, that, and the other. And, you know, that's something else that came out a little bit in bamboozle. But I am fully in the camp of stay in your lane. Yeah. Like, this is not yours. This is mine. And what I decide to do with it is my decision. You know, not to take it there again, but we we talked about it in Bamboozle. You you know, how much of this is a case of everybody wants to be a nigga, but don't nobody want to be a nigga. Right, right. And that's in the mix here. Like I, don't, you know, I won't say it that harsh because I do think that Ralph Bach, and, and you know, I'll say this. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I have blinders on a little bit because I'm a fan. Right. Like I said, I've I've enjoyed his work pretty much my entire life. He created one of the seminal um, cartoons of my childhood, The Mighty Heroes. Yeah. All I know is when I hear my precious, I want my precious. I think of Ralph Bakshi. So. Having said that, though, I do think this is a. F- and then the flip side of it, you have the creator who's kind of using all of these cultural markers, all of these images to sort of make this film. And then it goes back to what we talk to talk about all the time. Who is the audience for this? Yeah. So you have this white man making this film with all of this black imagery, with all of these black stories that, you know, again, by my reading, he misunderstands a lot of the or, or misses the important parts. Mm-hmm. And he's making it for a white audience. So, again, it's 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 at, 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 at my most generous, I can say it's tone deaf. Do you think that he made this for a white audience? Absolutely. I think he absolutely did. I, I think he certainly wanted a broad I a think, wide release. So I, yeah. I think I think there are elements of this film where again blackness is so fetishized blackness is so objectified where again we're talking about literal blackness like literally the color blackness mm-hmm. is sort of you, you you know well fetishized yeah that it's not for 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 me like I don't have this relationship with like blackness is not some exotic color to me that that you know you kind of make these kind of la- these colorful colorful <laughs> landscapes out of like that's not for me. This is for people again that you know from the outside you, you know it's 1974 
Right. You know, you see these black men on TV and their black power movement. So, you know, the images of the black power here, you know, they always go to the guns. Mm-hmm. It's always about the guns. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you know, you've got the one actual naked woman, like an actual woman, as opposed to a cartoon woman. And it's a black woman. Is a black woman. So you know you have that whole scene with you. You know the, the you know it's the over sexualization of black women, and you know again the actual woman. Like there are other naked images, but they're all cartoons. Yes. Everything with the way with, with the clothing. You know the basketball. I mean, just all of that it. basketball player. I know you're talking about the yeah. basketball player that comes. But that's when it was like, wow, they really go there, dude. Yeah. It, well, it's interesting to read uh, like some of the r- reviews of this film uh, at the time. Uh, Richard Eater of the New York Times wrote that Coonskin could be uh, Bakshi's masterpiece, a shattering successful effort to use an uncommon form, cartoons and live action combined, to convey the hallucinatory violence and frustration of American city life, specifically black city life, lyrically violent, yet in no way does it exploit violence. So in other words, you have a white man who made this film, and then another white man said that this is some great stuff. I mean, it's birth of the na- it's birth it's the birth of a nation argument. Yeah, where you know there are some subjects that somehow we'll let them slide, mm-hmm. so that we can talk about the artistic merit of it. It's the birth of a nation argument. It's the gone with the wind argument. Like somehow my experience and my pain is always disposable when it comes to art. Yeah, I, I, I. Here's the thing: it's just I wanted to, like I said, I wanted to embrace this film. I, and I, I hate to be, I hate to review a film for what it is not. But when you see the the movie poster for it, which is like a satir, a satirization of the Warner Brothers cartoon, sure. You know, with you know the rare rabbit up there in front of the 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 ellipse, the circles that famously are Warner Brothers, and instead of like you know that's all, folks, it's like that's it, folks. Right. You know, just let you know this is what this is what it's hitting for. When you see that, I'm ready to buy into a film that uses anthropomorphic animals to convey that tale. And I think maybe if you do that, maybe you could sell this story because the rabbit in it, outside of him being staunchly and 100 percent black. Right. He's not, you know, he's not uh, uh, um, in any way, um, at least to me, you know, uh, uh, like one of those the caricatures of black people. Sure. Yeah, if anything, he's just a black, you know, maybe oversized Bugs Bunny. Right, right. You know, of a sort. He he real cool. Yeah. But you know? you know, like you said, a lot of that is just sort of Yeah, and, and the and and the bear is just a big, you know, just a big burly bear. Fox got a little slyness to him with his little earring and everything like that. I think if the rest of your characters in this film carry that same depiction then some of the stories of what you're trying to get across maybe they still they they still um you might still bump up against them sure but i think you you give them more of a chance well you get something like fritz the cat which is an amazing film which is all anthropomorphic characters yeah except there i think there are a couple of like he he likes to he likes to draw his sexy right right sexy yeah yeah sexy women yeah yeah, so yeah, then you get like Fritz the Cat. No, again, I I am a fan. Like, like you, you know, again, me and you are all like we're we kind of cut our teeth on that kind of seventies, early eighties yeah. aesthetic. Yeah, you you know, it's it's like the DC implosion. You know, it's like that second wave of Marvel Comics writers and Jerry Conway and and Steve Englehart. Like, like you, you know, heavy. I talked about heavy, heavy metal. metal. You know, Mad Magazine yeah. and cra- like yeah. that's 
that's who we are. Yeah. And, and Ralph Bakshi is right there. He's right there in that whole counterculture media or, or almost time. like post counterculture. Yeah, it is probably you, like you right, know, at the, right at the end of it. Where somehow it was still getting in the hands of kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that. You know, again, his Lord of the Rings, you know, and you know what he does with rodeo scope and like I love what he and even in this, just as pure craft. This is obviously a master at work, but again, I don't, I, I, I don't like what he used his craft for yeah. in this, and 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 for all of of the satire talk, I, I, I think there's a fine line between satirizing and exploiting, and I don't think that line is that clear. Like, there are moments in here where it seemed like he was maybe doing something where, you know, America is represented by this, you know, overly sexualized white woman. Yes. And it's like, okay, well, I kind of see that. But then, you, you know, like you said, it's some guys, they come to the city and they take over the rackets and they get into this argument with the mafia and they have to take the mafia down. And, 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 you know, I'm talking about Uncle Remus and Joel Chandler Harris in 1881, but anyone who's seen Song of the South knew where this was headed. Yeah. Like, you know, you know about the Tar Baby, you know about the Briar Pad. Like, those are, again, if, if you know any Br'er Rabbit thing, you know the Briar Patch and you know the Tar Baby. So, I, I guess it's sort of the risk-reward concept. Mm-hmm. Where you risk using all of this sort of you know very inflammatory imagery, and I don't know what the reward was. Like I don't know what the point was. And and you know again, not to jump back on the New York Times review because I've read these reviews too. I, I don't have I don't have a whole lot of space for white people using blackness in their art and black culture in their art, and then other white people telling them how good it is, how great that was. And, and you know, I'm not going to say that you can't, because obviously you can, but that doesn't hold much water with me. Gotcha. You know, just because, you know, another white guy said, oh, this is this is amazing. It's 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 so revolutionary, incendiary imagery used in a way. You know, I'm not here my, like my life is not here for your entertainment. And and I think for a lot of 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 this, the, you, you know, again, I, I mentioned Quentin Tarantino, and I think that is, you know, that has been my beef with Quentin Tarantino for many of his films. Ironically, not uh, Django Unchanged, Unchained. I'm actually I'm j- actually a Django fan, but that's a whole different conversation. Okay, I think it's more black humanity in Django than in a lot of movies. But um, yeah, yeah, you, you know, it's an interesting film. I'm glad I saw it. I don't know if I ever need to see it again. Uh, I'm still a Ralph Bakshi fan. You know, I think everyone should see his Lord of the Rings, especially if you're like seven. Like if you're seven, like if you're listening to us and you're seven years old, first of all, you shouldn't be listening to us. But if you are, you should go see his Lord of the Rings, especially if you're like hopped up on candy. I saw Lord of the Rings at my um my father's aunt on Irene. We used to go and visit her, and I sat in her living room, and she had two candy dishes. Okay. One had, like, that blue Brock's candy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other one had, remember, like, the, the Hershey, like, the little Hershey miniatures? Like, the little bag with the Hershey miniatures, but then everyone would eat all of them except for the dark ones, the mm-hmm. dark chocolate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody likes the dark chocolate. So I sat at her table, and I ate the blue candies, and I ate the Hershey miniatures because my parents were in there talking with her, and I watched Lord of the Rings. And I remember being hopped up on the sugar and Lord of the Rings, like just sort of changing my life. It was like Lord of the Rings and like Watership Down and uh, Ricky Ticky Tavi are the three cartoons uh, that kind of scarred me, but in a good way when I was a kid. So, you know, right. big fan. Don't know how much of a fan I am of Coonskin. Yeah, I, I at the end of the day, I can't I can't I can't ride with um, this film. But um, and I can't ride with people's reassessment of it. It just doesn't doesn't ring true. Well, again, I always wonder would people be as generous and as forgiving of this type of imagery 
if people reappropriated Nazi imagery. Yeah. And, you know, we had sort of the 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 the, the stereotype in the caricature of, you, you, you know, like, that like Nazis use of Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of those images like, you know, there I've been in classes and I've been places where people didn't want to do the Merchant of Venice. Really? Because of Shylock, the Jew. Oh. So and I respect that because, you know, you know where this leads. Once you dehumanize somebody, you can do anything you want to to them. I was very shocked to see um, Barry White in this film. Only because as the film plays on and I'm feeling whatever it is I'm feeling mm-hmm. of this film. And maybe, you know, he's a guy that signs on and doesn't know what he's signing on for. I, I, I wanted to color Barry White with like Barry White always struck me as the Orson Welles of the music scene. Someone who was ahead of his time. Absolutely. And maybe I just wanted to see him as the Orson Welles in the movie scene because they they share the same size. Right. Because as much as I do love a lot of Barry White, I'm not going to say a lot. I do love a good deal of Barry White music. Um, I just wanted to. I just wanted to think that he was a little bit above being in something like this. I would love. To talk to Philip Michael Thomas about this. See, I see Philip Michael Thomas because in 1975, Philip Michael Thomas is a, is a is a hardworking actor trying to you know he's just trying. To- no, no, no. I get it, but you know, even in retrospect, I mean, you know, who I'd really love to talk to, and, Scatman. Yeah, yeah, but Scatman you know, I've wanted to talk to him about several things. Like we were talking, like you said, you fell down a rabbit hole. We were talking about an R and B singer, and you fell down. I fell down the Scatman Crothers rabbit hole last night. Really? Yeah, because cause, you know he was like on Sanford and Son, mm-hmm. and that red f- like you know I love these you know I loved them dudes you know I loved the dudes who were Chitlin Circuit dudes, and then bad. got a measure of crossover success when they were a little older. Yeah. So you know it's like uh, Leroy and Skillet, Red Fox, uh, Lawanda Page, Scatman Crothers, like I loved them people. Yeah. So I've uh, Grady, um Whitman Mayo. Whitman Mayo. You know, I loved I loved them so much. So, you know, I fell down that hole like I was looking at Sammy Davis Jr. clips until one in the morning. Wow. So um mm-hmm. but yeah, I um I don't know. I'd love to talk I would love to talk to the black actors yeah. in this film yeah. about it. Because I have And Charles Gordon, that's the other one. Right, right, right. Because I've never, I've never heard black people talk about coonskin. Frankly, well, um, it, uh, author and cultural critic Darius James is one of the ones who who has written and revisited this film. Okay, what's he read, say? Reads like an Uncle Remus folktale, rewritten by Chester Himes with all the Europa-based surrealism of the Nigerian author Amos Tutula. I'm not familiar with Amos Tatula, but I don't think Chester Himes would have rewritten this like this. So I disagree with the Chester Himes name check in that. I don't. I don't know if I, I. I don't know if I agree with his assessment there either. But Darius James is a name to be respected. Uh, and the NAACP said uh, at the time that this film came out actually um, supported the film, calling it a difficult satire. I need somebody. Maybe I'm too dense. I don't know what the satire is actually. Like, what's it satirizing? Well, it's satirizing. It's satirizing black life. I mean, because it, it's definitely is a a heightened reality. I guess somebody needs to explain to me the difference between satire and stereotype in this case. Again, look. I'm, I'm, hey, maybe it's, I always start with maybe it's me, but I don't like, I, and you know, like you, you read the reviews and people throw that word satire around and we've talked about satire, whether we're talking about Putney Swope, whether we're talking about Bamboozled, Mm -hmm. like we've talked about it and 
Putney Swope is a satire. Putney, I think Putney Swope is a satire. And I think this is but I, to be on that on that same. I think it does, but again, satire is a scalpel. Yeah, not an axe. Well, and and that's where it fails. That's where this fails. But I think I think the attempt at satire is there. So I think overall you could categorize this film as a satire. It's just not. While they say difficult, I say it's unsuccessful. Okay. But All I, right. I, I think a satire is a fair assessment of what the film is. In, okay. All right. Like I said, I don't see it. Uh, it's interesting that you don't see the satire. You think this is a beautiful movie. And um, I see the satire, and I do not think there's any beauty to behold in Coonskin. But what do we know? What do we know? We're two dudes with a podcast. It is a film that is hard to find out there. Actually, yet two can... men, one podcast, every black film ever made. That's right in the credits right yeah. in the text um <laughs> it is a film that is hard to find yet it is out there um uh streaming uh on the internet so you can you can find coonskin yes uh, and there have been some dvd releases of it over the years lynn would you recommend this film i do want to recommend it in in for two reasons. One, because I do think that Ralph Bakshi is a is a name of note absolutely in the history of animation. Yes. And thus and because of that, the works his works are are worthy to be seen and appreciated for what they are. However they hit you, however they land with you is however they land, but I think they're worthy to be seen and appreciated. Okay. Okay. So I do I do believe on that note. And then as a as a cultural artifact in and of itself, I strangely feel that it's worthy to be seen because like I say, I do believe that there is some satire here and some some of the satire that is a little striking there the whole thing with the the church and the simply savior uh character yeah, and everything yeah. like that there's bits of that that kind of like are just as biting as the the most visceral satire that you've come across especially from this time period um so i do think it's worthy to be seen for that level i think like i say where it lands with you is up to you. I think it will land with more people the way it lands with me than with the than way mm. it lands with you. Because I'm actually the reverse of you, and that scene in particular, I thought was was cringeworthy mm. for the whiteness in the in the complete misunderstanding okay. of the black church and the black power movement at okay. that moment. But. See, I didn't see it about black power. I just see it about black. Well, yeah, all that, you know, kill whitey and, and the guns. We're going to take the money and buy okay. guns and, okay. you know, but. um. Well, all right. I'm thinking about just his performance. It's circa on the stage. Sure. Sure. But OK, I feel you. Um, Again, I'm a Ralph Bakshi fan. And, and if you've never seen Lord of the Rings, if you've never seen Fritz the Cat, if you've never seen Wizards. I, I think you should, particularly if you're interested in pop culture, particularly if you're interested in what we kind of call nerd cu- culture or geek culture now. I think um, there's a subversive element to his art. Yes, that very much. that I am I am a big fan of. And again, I think he is one of the people that has kind of shaped my personal aesthetic mm-hmm. and and the types of art that I'm drawn to. Mm-hmm. Having said that, if you've never seen a Ralph Bakshi film, I think you should see the ones that I already mentioned. And And if you have seen those films and you find yourself a fan of those films, then, you know, you should see Coonskin. Now, do I think, you know, again, do I think he is fast and loose with imagery that he has no right to be fast and loose with? Absolutely. Do I acknowledge that me saying that an artist doesn't have a right to use certain things is in and of itself something that could be argued? Mm. Absolutely. Am I more than willing to argue that? Absolutely. So there you go. I don't know if I'm recommending it or not or how I'm recommending it. I know I'm not watching anymore. (laughs) 
I do want to note that along with giving uh, big breaks to a lot of African-American animators and graffitis, graffiti artists, he also employed Brenda Banks, the very first African-American female animator on Coonskin. So I did want to give him a, oh, a, hey, a, hey. a, a shout out, you know, a praise for that. Um, listener request month continues next week as we look at at real genie B's selection straight out of Brooklyn, straight out. of Now, weren't we supposed to do Pootie Tang at some point? Did we are we not doing Pootie Tang? We are supposed to do Pootie Tang. Say, That's we, coming we up. Pootie, all right. All right. Just, coming up. We just want to make sure. Although straight out of um, Brooklyn is a good one. And that's a film. Uh, I, I love listener requests. Yeah, oh, yeah, most of these films outside of Pootie Tang, and then the that's um that's Maddie Rich. That's Maddie Rich's joint, right? I, yeah, I, I, I've uh, I've never I've never seen Straight Out. I got a good Maddie Rich story. We'll save it. All right, all right, um, all right. Uh, please, uh, I hope you are enjoying the Michelle Mission, and I hope you're enjoying the Michelle Mission every Wednesday at eight p.m. On WPPMLP 106.5 FM in Philadelphia. Reach out to the Michelle Mission. Let us know how you're feeling. Email us at Mission at gmail.com. Or you can tweet and follow us at Michelle Mission on Twitter, Instagram, as well as Facebook. Sound good? Sounds fantastic. All right. So as uh, Bill Lee takes us out of here ladies and gentlemen i'm len he's vince and parting we say we'll see you when it's time to meet again It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.